Good morning, everybody. You are listening to Listen Local, and uh, my name is Julian Mark. I am a reporter with Mission Local and also your host today. Um, I'm here with two very special people. Um, my uh, boss slash friend <laughs> slash I don't even know what sometimes, Joe, but uh, Joe Eskenazi, how are you doing? I'm all right. I'm the managing editor. That's what it says on the card. Oh, okay. All right. That's <laughs> Sometimes I, I forget. And I'm also here with um, Heather Knight, a columnist with the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, how are you doing today, Heather? I'm good. Just had fun on Rollover Easy, and now we'll get more serious, I guess. Yeah, I think we have to thank those guys they for actually getting... Yeah, they do a great <laughs> show, first of all. And also, they got you into the building, so we'll, uh, we have to you know give them a shout-out. Um, well, uh, today we're going to kind of, um, you know, we had kind of a crazy election, right? Uh, I don't know. Would you cast, how would you classify this election on the crazy scale? <laughs> you talk about the crazy scale. <laughs> I'd say it was a six. It was a six? <laughs> okay. Maybe a seven. I mean, uh, it, the conventional choices might have been crazier. Uh, I, I think that there, are, there were some very clear themes that came out of it. Uh, I think that uh, there were some very clear decisions made beforehand that uh, that the voters uh, uh, did not ratify. <laughs> right. So, you know, I'll, 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 we can talk more about that later. But yeah, it was a, a lot of people probably were drinking from frustration or drinking from uh, from joy at the end of this municipal election, it, separate yeah. and apart from the national election. Right, right. So, you know, the probably in my mind, kind of the biggest story of this election was um, Proposition C. I mean, it really kind of uh, came to... It made national headlines, you know, with these sort of uh, billionaires, uh, Mark Benioff jumping into the race, Jack Dorsey kind of, uh, you know, giving, you know, his his side <laughs> of things, um, and they really rumbled, but um, it passed, right? And, um, but now it's not like all of this money is just going to suddenly become available, you know, after, you know, once the, once the tax is uh, imposed. What, where is it right now? So there's... Um a legal issue. The supporters were hoping to reach two thirds because that would have mm -hmm. um, meant no legal issue, and they could have just started collecting the money and spending it soon. But um, because it didn't get two thirds and was written to only need a, a bare majority, and it got sixty percent, so it's right in that window. Um, it's subject to um, a lawsuit by people who say that it actually needed two thirds, and even though they said they only needed a bare majority, they weren't right in the first place, and that's unconstitutional. Right. Um, so the city attorney Dennis Herrera is going to fight. He's the one who thinks that it only needs the fifty plus one, and he's going to fight for this. But it's going to take a long time, like any issue in the courts will. And in the meantime, the um, controller said yesterday that he's going to be collecting the money, but just keeping it basically sitting on it until we know the answer of whether it can be spent so that we're not spending money that we're not sure we can spend and then have to pay it all back in the end. So guys, do you think, um, you know, what is uh, Herrera's argument? And do you think he has a good one? I mean, is this a, you know, is this a good chance that, you know, this actually, he will actually pull this out? He thinks so. <laughs> <laughs> He's had some, a lot of string of successes in the past of things that didn't seem very likely. So he, uh -huh. he has a good track record, but he's um, pretty much alone. There aren't a lot of other city attorneys who are making the same case. He wrote a memo, was it in the spring? Or? I think so. It was prior to the last Proposition C. Yeah, um, saying that his interpretation of California law and this uh, one particular um, legal, uh, what was the court? Uh, it was it was a it was a, a parsing of Proposition Two Fifteen mm -hmm. from way up north, and this is getting highly technical for you. But it gets down to when the legislature, when our supervisors put a measure on the ballot for taxation, you need two thirds because thanks to the agitation of the Howard Jarvis people uh, decades ago. But the delineation here is if you know citizens 
gather signatures does it only need a bare minimum of 50 percent and that's what we're going to all find out uh certainly you know uh everyone i've talked to in the city attorney's office is is pretty confident and you know if you look at the political aspects of this judicial case um uh nullifying this would strip money away from a lot of worthy causes mm-hmm. and, and and correct me mm-hmm. if i'm wrong heather not just here uh it would nullify it would nullify other measures elsewhere uh so that's 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 kind of a thunderclap, and and you have to wonder if that goes through a judge's mind. I imagine it's going to go through all three courts. Hmm. I imagine that's nine ten months a pop. You mean it's going to go? It's going to go to the uh, Cal- state Supreme Court. Yeah. The state Supreme Court. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly the money's there. And one last thing: my understanding is that you do not have to reveal who pays into a uh, legal defense fund. So uh, many of the folks that uh, were very deferential to London Breed's uh, judgment on Prop C. Um, might uh, just slip some money to a legal defense fund and have somebody sue for them if they were so inclined. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, it doesn't have to be revealed. It's so the other <laughs> the other measures that would be that are already in jeopardy from June are a different Prop C right. to raise taxes to fund childcare and Prop G, which um, was a new parcel tax to raise teacher salaries. So these are really you know important um, wholesome issues. I would say teachers. Uh, child care, and now homeless services. And all of it could be in jeopardy to the tune of about $500 million a year. That is amazing. Uh, so just correct me, I'm not, you know, I'm not totally, uh, you know, up on, you know, how exactly this works. So if, you know, there is a, a ruling in, in favor of one, does that mean that it's going to sort of have a ripple effect on the others? Or is this one lawsuit that affects, you know, uh, all of the, the propositions? How does that how does that work? I think it would take them all out. It would take them all out? Mm-hmm. Just one ruling? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's easy or <laughs> um, so you know we've been kind of uh, looking at proposition C kind of since its you know uh, introduction uh, several months ago and I mean could uh, you Heather Knight could you just tell us where this proposition started out and what people were sort of saying and thinking about it yeah so it started with the coalition on homelessness which for years has been fighting for more funding for homeless people in San Francisco and they have this long strategic plan that they came up with and it included um, this big tax hike to, um, they say we just need tons more money, a major injection of funds, or we're just going to see the same, which is just chugging along and the numbers never budging that much. So they say to make a real big difference, it needs way more money. And so this idea started from there. They got input from the department heads who work on this issue and others and came up with this measure. And it was just kind of off the radar of most San Franciscans until, Mm. um, somebody very famous named Mark Benioff um, came out in support. And this was only a few weeks ago, like uh, four weeks ago, I think. Wow, um, very so recent. Yeah. And he <laughs> <laughs> he was convinced by um, a woman who runs a bookstore in The Hate who lobbied him privately on Twitter. And he agreed. And he came out in between him and his company, Salesforce. They gave $8 million to the Prop C campaign, which had to spend it very quickly. It was the most ever given in such a short time frame close to the election. Um, so it just suddenly became... Uh, very interesting to San Franciscans as well as people around the country and the world, especially when he started fighting with Jack Dorsey on Twitter about yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, and so do we have an idea about why um, why in the world would he do this? I mean, is this for his own, you know, does he seriously, truly care about the city? Does he want, uh, does he want to... Um, you know, help cure the city's ills? Does he, or is he, um, you know, is he also concerned about his image? And is he, is he concerned, does he have political ambitions in the future? I mean, why, why would he do this? There's a lot of speculation. In my opinion, I interviewed him about 10 days ago. I think, I don't think he's running for higher office. I think it's twofold. I think he got a lot of negative emails after Dreamforce in September Mm. from Mm -hmm. people who are coming here for this huge conference he puts on every year that he really um, puts a lot of time in 
energy into and cares a lot about. And he just got nasty emails from attendees saying, I'm never coming back. This was awful. This, your streets are disgusting. Really? Um, so he talks about like, will San Francisco get so bad that we can't even have Salesforce here anymore, let alone Dreamforce. But then at the same time, he's a, I think, fourth generation San Franciscan. His mm. grandfather was on the board of supervisors and he was a homeless advocate. He was a supervisor turned lawyer. And Mark told me that when he was a kid, he'd go meet him at his office on Market Street and they'd walk around and hand out $20 bills to homeless people. Wow. So I think he he cares about um, th- the future of his business and his conference, but also about the issue in general. I, I thought the column that Heather wrote was, was very much on point. I, I'd like to add that it's possible to have multiple uh, motivations. I think that Mark Benioff is as much as any billionaire can be. He's kind of a mensch. He, he definitely does care about San Francisco. He also definitely cares about the business climate of San Francisco, and that is the argument you would make to your shareholders when you are, as he is, the co-CEO of a publicly traded company. Uh, as a as a co-CEO of a publicly traded company, you can't say, I'm uh, subjecting us to more tax uh, payment because I feel like it, because it's the right thing to do. You have to say, this is a good business decision. You know, Otherwise, you have a, a shareholder lawsuit. And also, I think that people are probably not talking about the fact that Salesforce contracts with Immigration and Customs Enforcement now, which they certainly were during Dreamforce. So he's made a lot of new friends this way. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't think, I think that those are factors. I think that, you know, his, his concern for the city is probably enough, but those are other factors. Um, would this have um, done well? I mean, it's, it seems almost like an obvious question, but, you know, would this have gotten the 50 plus one without him throwing, uh, you know, getting into this? Or um, would this have just kind of, you know, perished without anybody kind of uh, out of knowing, uh, kind of, yeah. Knowing. I think it would have lost. You think I it would have lost? I think that the powers that be downtown would have big-footed it out. I think that they were on par to raise, on pace to raise $600,000. Uh, that would have been enough to have some manner of campaign. Uh, but, uh, in, you know, the opposition raised close to $2 million, and they would have done that, and they would have beaten it. Hmm. And you have to remember that three days before Mark Benioff came out in favor of it, London Breed, Scott Weiner, the state senator, and um, Assemblyman David Chu all came out um, together almost at the exact same time dropping email statements right. that were very identical to each other, providing each other cover for why they were on against Friday. this. On yeah. Friday. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that would have been enough to keep make people pause and say, well, my mayor and yeah. representatives in Sacramento who are pretty, you know, compassionate middle of the road folks don't like this so i'm not gonna vote for it um but then when mark benioff came out and dropped all that money it really was a game changer you know what kind of surprised me when uh you know when after mark benioff kind of uh jumped in um i was kind of expecting more um ceos more um you know sort of well-off um leaders of the city to kind of follow behind him but instead uh more people lined up to sort of oppose him why do you think people um, kind of these, uh, you know, uh, larger business people didn't didn't line up behind Mark Benioff on this one. Yeah, we saw donations from to the no side from Lyft, yeah. Visa, um, Jack Dorsey himself. Uh, and then I was surprised that even on Twitter, more people were chiming in against it, knowing they were going to get savaged by Benioff. It's <laughs> like, just stop talking. But Mark Pincus, the founder of Zynga, just a few days before the election, um, tweeted that this was the dumbest, least thought out measure he'd ever seen. And but people he hadn't were like, done the work. have you paid attention to <laughs> ballots? Hello. <laughs> well, but not just that. I mean, Mark Pincus came off as and came off as an idiot. And, you know, and this is not the first time uh, he he obviously hadn't put a lick of work into it and he chided people for not know for not doing any research he didn't understand how the tax was applied he didn't even understand if he was going to pay it 
So, um, and then... And, and, it was not an impressive argument. And, and perhaps the ultimate diss, I think, I think that Mark Benioff went into his standard pitch to everyone but Mark Pincus, where he says, big businesses like mine pay, you don't. And he's saying that to Heather Knight and Joe Eskenazi and Julian Mark. He's probably not saying that to Mark Pincus, but it sure sounded that way. Because <laughs> it was a direct reply to him. And yeah. Mark was like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to pay? Wait, what? <laughs> it's not a property tax. And at this point, you know, the building Zynga is in is worth more than Zynga. So, you know, uh, he, he's a minor billionaire and, and he was dismissed very quickly. I looked it up and... Um, I think Forbes says he's worth only one and a half billion compared yeah. to Jack oh. and Mark Benioff, <laughs> who are both worth more than five billion. So at this point in time, I'm going way off subject here, but I urge everyone to Google farm villains and Peter Jameson and SF Weekly and Mark Pincus and read uh, a story about, uh, about Zynga that was in SF Weekly eight years ago. Very much on point. Okay. Uh, <laughs> will do. Um, so, you know, um, aside from Prop C, um, you know, there was, uh, you know, that was that was a large story, but also kind of the story that, you know, has followed the election is, you know, where does this election put um, London Breed? Um, you know, she, uh, she put, uh, she threw her weight behind quite a few uh, candidates who, uh, and propositions, or Proposition C, namely, uh, that, you know, that that went the opposite way of uh, of how she probably would have liked. Um, but she's also now facing a likely, I mean, not all the votes are counted, but a very likely progressive board. Does this matter? Um, does it, you know, it, I mean, it obviously we think that we want, you know, a kind of counterbalance to, you know, uh, you know, a more moderate mayor. Um, but um, how do you think this will affect uh, how Breed does her job? I think it was a big blow to her. Um, mm. The fact that everything she came out, uh, she wanted um, Jessica Ho in District 4. It looks like it's going to be Gordon Marr. She wanted um, either Sonia Trouse or Christine Johnson in District 6, and right. it's going to be Matt Haney. This means she has a, there's a veto-proof majority on the board, um, so mm. that's a big deal that wow. she can't count on getting her things through and um as well as her she's really kind of stuck with prop c because she endorsed the no vote and yet now she's going to get all this money but she can't spend it and it's just going to be sitting there and i think um uh, citizens may not understand this complicated legal issue and so they are probably going to say well it passed now we're going to see major change on the streets right away Uh and hold her accountable and not understand why the money isn't actually going to be spent anytime soon and so she's stuck explaining why She's not making a big change when she didn't want this money in the first well, place was anyway. One of her initial reasons to oppose it, which is which is frankly pretty weak. I think now that you think about it, Heather. I mean, you've been watching politics for a while. Um, the mayor has no coattails, obviously, but Ed Lee had no coattails, and Gavin Newsom had no coattails. And going back to 2000, all of Willie Brown's supervisors got uh, turned out. So I'm not sure uh, when the last time is we had a mayor who could who could push things him or herself. And, and really sway voters, or at least, you know, uh, large sub- large groups of voters. Certainly, you know, Ed Lee, I think, would have influence on, on subsets of voters. But that was embarrassing, and it was a tremendous misstep. And for someone who's been banging the drum about accountability, uh, perhaps Lyndon Breed might want to hold accountable the people who gave her some of this advice. Uh, these were bad political decisions, uh, executed poorly. Uh, and as a result, uh, she's going to have the most adversarial board since the year 2000, uh, she came out on the wrong side of 60% of San Francisco voters. Mm, it's yeah. just a really bad look. Do I think that she's vulnerable in 2019? Absolutely not. There's, you know, there's nobody who could come out there and run against her that I... Uh, the only people I think who are viable candidates are her, in her camp are her allies. So, so barring a meteor, barring some manner of, of, of fantastic misstep, 
I think she's fine that way, but it just means that she'll be voted into office and governed inefficiently because of an adversarial board like Ed Lee. You said that, um, you know, in your in your latest column, you said that uh, she's getting a new chief of staff. Is that is that correct? Sean Ellsburn can't come quick enough. But if you're trying to mend fences on the other side, that's not what Sean Ellsburn does. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> and he's a cantankerous guy who took a lot of ten one votes. Well, you, you know, said you said that he not not to not to disrespect uh-huh. him. That doesn't that's not a bad thing. But he's not the guy to come in there and 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 glad hand to make friends. He's a, he's really smart though. He's, he's super <laughs> smart. He's he is he is your pivot. You know, he is the guy that you use to pivot against Ronan and Peskin. He's very smart. He understands how government works. He's a wonderful choice for the job. But he's not he's not going to do what she may suddenly need, which is you know find allies <laughs> well but you said you said that you you know he he better uh, something to the effect of he better have a fire extinguisher, fire extinguisher. <laughs> but but it doesn't sound like he it sounds like he's he's more I bringing he, like he a bo- blowtorch fire in the office <laughs> not outside the office i see i see you know, that's that's there's uh, there's some disarray there this was not a good showing <laughs> Um, and, you know, uh, London Breed, uh, you know, aside from kind of looking at her prospects of, you know, just governing well uh, here in San Francisco, she's also looking at a 2019 election, which I think, you know, before a lot, you know, I don't know, at least in my mind, um, you know, she she seemed to be in for, uh, you know, for maybe, uh, you know, the next decade. But does this at all compromise her chances in 2019? I don't think so. I mean, no, you, you t- no I, I, I mean, you have to run against the person. You know, who is the person who is going to, to beat London Breed? There's no person who can beat London Breed. I mean, people always used to say, you know, this is a, a little bit of an esoteric example. Uh, in District 11, we need to find a, a Chinese progressive who has values that are this and values that are that. It's like, well, you don't make this person in a laboratory. You know, you have <laughs> to have a person who has ties to the community, etc. So who is the person who's going to beat London Breed? I don't see anybody. London Breed is, is, is people, I, I think people like London Breed. They just don't. They obviously just didn't care what she thought politically, and, and, and that didn't motivate how they voted. It doesn't mean they don't like her. It doesn't mean that they don't even want her to be mayor. They obviously do. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, don't, they, don't lo- they didn't just you know, go follow her wishes and give her the board she wanted and, and vote the way that she wanted. I think she'll be fine. It just will be you know, a bumpy ride. And, and Heather Knight, why did you, why did you say uh, that you know, she probably um, you know, won't get, you know, this won't affect her chances in 2019? I don't think anybody's ready for another hard-fought okay. mayoral yeah. election. We just had one. Um, yeah. This is such a short term, like 17 months. Right. Um, you got to start now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to start now. So who, who right now can run for mayor? I don't. I, don't, I heard. I heard yesterday, and maybe this is just complete, you know, uh, hogwash. But I, I heard that Jane Jane Kim might might try again. Is that is that a possibility? <laughs> is that a possibility? I don't see that. <laughs> okay. Jane Kim will have been out of office uh, for eight months by the time the election rolls around. Okay, so probably uh, I mean, not much momentum. There were rumors she might try for district attorney, but... Oh, really? She needs to land somewhere, I guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't see her going to district attorney. It's not the kind of law she practiced. Hmm. Um, you know, I, it's already a competitive race. Uh, Jane Kim will, will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Jane, Kim, Jane Kim is very capable. She'll be fine. I don't, so, I don't see this as the, the landing points. So um, were, were you out there uh, yesterday, uh, Heather? Uh, or no, the, on Tuesday. Were you out reporting and uh, on, the, on the election? 
Yeah, um, I was out at Rockapoco where the Propsy campaign party was. Uh (laughs) Yeah, me too, actually. So um, do you have any, let me just add, let me just put this to you. Uh, What was the most, I guess, memorable or interesting moment uh, of of election day, you know, that you sort of observed or, um, you know, sort of captured uh, what was, uh, you know. Sort of the essence. Curse on BFF. (laughs) (laughs) Whether you wanted to or relayed what someone else said. Well, we had another reporter writing just the news off Prop C. What you know? Did it win? Did it lose? But my (laughs) column was um, more: How did it get? You know, this attention, and um, I traced it back to Kristen Evans, who was brought in as the main proponent. She runs three businesses in the hate, and she's just um, a real go-getter, and um, she just also remains very calm. She told me we had to figure out how to spend $8 million in a few weeks and that's hard to do, but she's just pretty funny. Um, and she was the one who had a private conversation on Twitter with Mark Benioff and convinced him to back it, which was obviously the big game changer. So I was hanging out with her at Rockapoco and as all these politicians and TV crews were milling around, she was just sitting in this booth petting her dog. <laughs> <laughs> she's just so calm. And I was like, wow. <laughs> it's amazing. And, and, you know, it kind of all, you know, all of this flurry around her was just sort of, you know, she, she initiated that yeah, she did. it seems like it's kind of an O. Henry moment for Jack Dorsey that this all happened because of Twitter right <laughs> yeah and I also found out I d- it didn't make the column because it was getting too long as it always does but um, after Jack Dorsey came out on Twitter um, against it Kristen Evans uh, scheduled a 90 minute um, conference call with him and Jennifer Friedenbach and they tried to convince him and did not have the same success that they did with Mark Benioff wow and they just said he just doesn't want to pay the tax yeah. <laughs> well, that's. <laughs> I think that's pretty pretty obvious. There was no though. changing his mind. Your, your intrepid colleague Rolling Lee uh, managed to pull the rug out from under me because I was working real hard to get that story about them looking at that Oakland space, <laughs> um, and uh, that's possible. You know, if he wants to take his ball and go home, or that that, that could be uh, something. Tech people bedazzle us a bit but if someone who was an oil executive or someone who you know made cars said you know what's good for my business is good for your city uh we'd be skeptical uh but when tech people say what's good for tech is good for america is good for your city we we believe them the self-interest strikes me as much the same Hmm. people like corporate welfare (laughs) and they get it (laughs) and and they were given it by the last couple of administrations Joe, uh, you were out there. You or you no, were I was not. you were not out there. You were you were just on the I phone was, all day. It was a very monkish existence. I was uh, in the office all day, and then uh, because in our office the uh, the burglar alarm will go off if you leave after ten, uh, I went to our editor Lydia's attic. Um, what was a what did, what was your uh, what was a very memorable moment? I would I would say you would say from. Uh, from election day i was uh surprised to see on the internet that people were seriously claiming that sonia trous would beat matt haney um everyone i talked to said it would be close which also wasn't true um but no one said that she would win and certainly no one said she had a better ground game than matt haney who had like you know it was like night of the living dead out there yeah it's crazy (laughs) he had like a standing army and and, you know two to the point that uh, that heather just brought up um how do you spend eight million dollars in three weeks well they, I'm sure, wasted a good deal of it, uh, you know, but it, the $700,000 that was dropped into District 6, I mean, you might as well have lit it on fire. Uh, it was not spent well. A lot of it was phone banking or online ads. That's not how to reach people in District 6. Now how do you reach people? You get out there and shake their hand, mm. you know? I mean, even educated people who've been to graduate school will probably vote for you if you're nice to them, buy them a cup of coffee. That's true. You actually, the buying is not the important part. Have a cup of coffee with them, you know, interact with them. People, that's how people work. 
And districts are small enough, you could meet everyone if you take a year. And it seemed like that's what Matt Haney was doing. I mean, he was out there Very in front of, you know, with the... campaign. Yeah, that he was out with the, with the tech people. He was out with, um, you know, with, uh, you know, in the SROs. He was, he was just, he was, uh, Matt Haney was very out and about. He was very visible. A very classic standard campaign, but for the fact that he did have tech apps so he could track exactly who he talked to and you could tell everyone on your phone, oh, we talked to Heather Knight six times and she's noncommittal and we have to send her a poster and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. So that's, you know, a, a tech enhanced classic campaign rather than the other way around, which is, you know, tech first. Hmm. Um, and... The, the results are, I mean, people are saying, oh, I knew he'd win handily. He had these ID voters. It's, well, well, great. You know, you ever tried to rouse people out of an SRO to vote? It's not easy. You know, I mean, uh, I am surprised by the margin of victory. And, and you know, if Matt is being honest, so is he. Yeah, I was surprised <laughs> too. I think he was. Yeah. And, you know, I... Oh, she's got to go. Heather's got to go. Heather's got work to do. And you know what? Yeah. It's, it's, it's I, so do we. Yeah, I think I think we do too. Um, I think that's a probably a good a good uh, nice uh, point to to end to end the show. Uh, thank you, Heather Knight, for for joining us today. It's, Thanks it's for really having nice me. surprise. Oh, oh, one last detail. I'm okay. told the beers at the homeless money raising party were nine bucks a piece, which I think is ironic. Whoa. Yeah, nine bucks. I that's, did not buy one. That's why that place I was sober. So fast, right? <laughs> you were still. Yeah. Yeah. It would be unethical to drink and work at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, work hard. Have a nice Thursday. Uh, you're listening to Listen Local on BFF.FM. I'm just going to say this is Alison Crutchfield taking the stage, saying everything she has to say. It's not the band. And it's, I think this album is about the two of them. And it, I think that it wouldn't be, I think the strength of the album is that it has these pretty densely structured songs from Alison Crutchfield, but it gains counterbalance it gains i think emotional heft from having kyle gilbride who is stuck and upset and he's i think not as able to say oh i'm wiser now it's like no i'm not wiser now i'm still kind of upset Mm -hmm. and the album is i think more challenging because of that but it's also richer because of that and so i think that 
I, I would like to hear, I think it's almost two different albums. There's mm-hmm. like the album that ends with this song. Mm-hmm. And then there's the album that says, no, 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 we're giving Kyle one more chance. Uh-huh. And I to cut loose. And the last track on this album is, I th- it's it's like almost a barn burner where he's upset. He's It's faster. It's aggressive. And I, that's what's so fun about this album. It's two different things. It's oil and water that shouldn't mix. But I think it's it's better with both of them than it would be with just either one alone. So we're going to go out with that last track, which is called Future Hell. And you've been listening to For the Record, and we've been discussing the Swearin' album called Fall Into the Sun. Thanks for listening. We pass the buckle. See what